Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. With fossil fuels at record low prices, wind and solar companies should just go ahead and declare bankruptcy right now, right? Well, not so fast. On today's Parts Per Billion, we look at the new landscape for renewable energy and find that it's not actually as bad as you might think. Hello and welcome back yet again to Parts Per Billion, the environmental podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. So if you're a business, the last thing you want to see is the prices of your competitor start to plummet. But in the energy industry, it's not quite that simple. For example, earlier this year, the prices of oil, natural gas, and other fossil fuels dropped to near record lows and actually, for one very brief, very strange moment, actually went negative. You'd think that would be catastrophic for renewable energy companies. After all, power plants look at these prices pretty closely when they're deciding whether to build a new wind turbine, or just expand an existing natural gas plant. But in reality, the decision-making calculus here is way more complicated than that. And over the longer term, clean power sources like wind and solar are just continuing to get cheaper, more efficient, more cost-effective, and more widely adopted across the globe. That's according to Albert Chung, the head of global analysis at Bloomberg New Energy Finance, a division here at Bloomberg that does research into all facets of the energy industry. Chung spoke to us from his home in London, England, and he says there's no denying that the pandemic and its massive economic fallout have hurt the renewable energy industry just like they've hurt nearly every other industry. But, he says, so far, it's actually holding pretty strong. All things considered, um, Wind and solar have been pretty resilient, actually. I think there's a kind of a spectrum from severe pain from COVID, like aviation, tourism, hospitality, all the way to kind of quite rampant gain, like technology companies and, and you know, home delivery businesses. Renewables are somewhere in between. There have been impacts. There, there have been some job losses, but um, thankfully it's not been a bloodbath. Um, so, so if you look at what's happening in the oil sector, for example, you know, unprecedented turmoil, severe cuts, capex reductions, production is down. Renewable production is actually up this year. Um, the wind still blows, the sun still shines, even in a pandemic. And uh, we've got more renewable capacity installed globally than ever before. So when you look at the installed base of wind and solar farms, they're performing, they're reliable in most parts of the world. The power that we're drawing from the grid is actually cleaner now than it's ever been before. Um, and, and the networks are able to absorb that without sacrificing reliability so far. So I think we should actually pause and, and be glad about that. But I, it sounds like there has been a really a pretty significant drop in demand. Uh, I mean, I guess across all energy sectors because there's just less economic activity, so there's less demand for energy. 
Um, can the clean energy sector adapt to this? So, so there has been a bit of a hit in terms of the pace of, of the new build of, of wind and solar plants. That there is going to be a reduction this year. Um, we've reduced our, our forecast for new build uh, on the wind side by 12%, on the solar side by 19% for this year. But just to be really clear, both of those figures are for new additions um, of wind and solar. So actual renewable production is up and the world is adding more. We're just adding a bit less than that we expected that we would we would be. I see. So it's just it's it's acceler it's accelerating, but just accelerating at a much lower pace than it has in the past. Yeah, that's right. And a lot of that is down to just the friction of doing business during the pandemic. You know, in some countries, construction was stopped. In some countries, there are factories that make solar modules that, that had to shut down for a couple of months. Um, physical distancing measures made it harder to get work done, so on and so forth. So, so some of those reductions, I mean, and I would say a, a large chunk of it, then they're, they're not sort of fundamental changes in the market. But they're a, a kind of product of, of, of friction and, and shutdowns that have kind of caused a bit of a bit of delay in, in the pipeline. I see. So that's interesting. So, so there has been a hit. It sounds like I mean a double digit hit in in the rate of of you know new builds. But it sounds like this is more this this you don't think this will have really significant long term con consequences. Um, I guess it depends on how you define long term. Yeah, yeah. I guess when, when we talk to our clients, um, they kind of understand the short term, like the, the immediate hit, the construction delays, etc. That's now pretty well understood. I think looking forward, you know, over the, let's say the, the next kind of uh, six to 18 to 24 months, let's say that's call that whatever you want to call that medium term, maybe. Um, I think some of the more important questions that will sort of underpin the sector are around you know, to what extent are governments around the world going to continue auctioning for more renewables capacity? So we, we've seen those growing every year for, for a while now. Is that going to continue? Um, is power demand going to bounce back quickly? We've seen double digit reductions in power demand, as, as, you, as you sort of alluded to earlier. Um, and our power price is going to recover. What, what shape is that recovery going to take? Um, that's becoming more and more important because we're seeing more and more um, renewable projects being built um, purely uh, based on power prices, so called the merchant projects, they're completely unsubsidized, particularly in southern Europe, places like Spain and Portugal. And so the economics of those plants are strongly linked to the underlying performance of the economies as they emerge from lockdown, because that drives power demand. So, so what you're saying there is that it's it's just that the the price of wind and solar has gotten so cheap that it can actually compete with these other um, you know sources of energy without any assistance from the government in there. So it's it's competing on its own. Yeah, no, no question at all. Um, so we, I mean, we do a study every six months. Um, we do a global review of the levelized costs of electricity around the world, so the all-in costs of, of new build power generation. Um, our latest report at the end of April found that wind and solar are now the cheapest source of power in countries that account for 85% of the world's power demand. The vast majority of where power is generated, wind and solar are now the cheapest options. And that's even true, I mean, just to give one sort of anecdotal example, you know, we find that in, in the windy parts of the US, onshore wind power can now outcompete existing combined cycle gas plants that have already been built um, running on $2 gas. Now, gas is maybe a little bit below $2 right now, but that's just an example of a pretty important tipping point that you know, renew renewables are outcompeting out just the running cost of gas, even forgetting the, the need to build the plant. Just out of curiosity, what are the windy parts of the U.S.? Oh, uh, the the Midwest, um, the Texas Panhandle, parts of the Southwest. That makes sense. All all the, all the parts that that have to deal with tornadoes and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's probably that's probably a good way to think about it. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that you know wind and solar can compete with two dollar natural gas. 
natural gas is, as you mentioned, below $2. We, we talked about this actually on an earlier episode of the podcast, which is that oil and gas prices are unbelievably low right now. Is that a problem for wind and solar? Are they going to be able to compete with you know, fossil fuels that are at record low prices? Uh, so this is a, a super interesting dynamic right now, um, clearly with you know, oil and gas extremely, um, extremely cheap. Um, so w- what I would say to that is you know, we're still finding that renewables all around the world are cost competitive, um, particularly if you're looking at new build. If you've got, if you've got a meat power demand, um, and you're going to choose a, a resource. If you just need more kilowatt hours to be generated, in most of the world, you're going to end up choosing wind or solar. Now, that's not to say you wouldn't build gas or coal. Um, clearly, if you need dispatchable power or if you're in certain places where those resources are particularly cheap, then, then th- those are still being built. Um, but by and large, um, you, you know, we've reached that tipping point where renewables is going to take over. Um, so, so what's happening with gas is really interesting because there's this instinct that says, oh, gas is cheap, so renewables will... Um... That's what I thought. That's initially, I mean, that's, to be honest, the was the genesis of this podcast episode is that I saw that. I saw that, that the price got so low and I was like, oh, renewables just simply can't compete, but uh, maybe I should talk to an expert, you know? Yeah, so, so, so it's super interesting. So what's really happened is you, you've got this sort of dual impact of power demand suddenly dropping and gas prices being really cheap, but renewables are the cheapest thing in the stack. So renewables will always generate, so they'll always outcompete in a given hour, on a given day, they'll always outcompete anything else that there is. Um, so instead, what's happening is cheap gas and renewables together are pushing coal out of the market even more quickly than what was already happening. Um, so here in Great Britain, where I live, um, we've just gone two months without burning any coal at all. I think you probably saw that. And that's never happened since the 19th century. Similar things happening in the US. and I, So I think what we'll see, particularly in Europe and also in the US, is low gas prices, low power demand, and you know the continuing resilience of renewables. Um, all of that is actually going to accelerate the transition away from coal rather than slowing the, the growth of clean energy. So things are looking pretty good for the renewable energy industry in the long term. But what about in the short term? Also, will renewable energy be strong enough to do what many say it has to do? Save the world from climate change? We'll get to that in just a second. Stay with us. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. We are back and we're talking with Albert Chung, the head of global analysis at Bloomberg New Energy Finance. 
So despite a relatively rosy long-term outlook, the pandemic is of course causing some pretty acute short-term shocks for renewable energy. For example, most of the parts that make up solar panels and wind turbines are produced in China, where the novel coronavirus originated. And additionally, BNEF's research has found that the prices for some of these parts are so low right now that their manufacturers can't even make a profit. However, Albert says for the renewable energy industry, this kind of supply chain drama is nothing new. It was really interesting watching the, the sort of solar industry in the first half of this year because it, it went from a supply shock to a demand shock very quickly. So the first few months yeah. of the year, you had only China shutting down. That's where all the factories are. Um, and that affected global supply of solar equipment. Now it's the opposite. The factories are up and running. China's gradually reopening. Although, you know, as, as we record this, you know, there are some challenges that we see in, in Beijing. But, but the factories are running. Yeah. But it's global project construction that's now slowed. Um, so the situation is reversed, and as, as you rightly say, some manufacturers um, are going to struggle to make a profit because there's an oversupply situation. Um, we've seen some of these manufacturers suspend production. Um, in general, as, as a general rule, the larger players are the ones that are going to fare better. Uh, they tend to have a lower cost base, so you're going to see, you know, on the margin, probably some of the smaller and higher cost um, producers um, suspend production. But what I would say is... Um, the solar supply chain has seen demand shocks before. Um, a couple of years ago, China quite abruptly removed a major uh, subsidy scheme. It led to a lot of disruption, the similar kinds of price reductions that we're seeing today. Um, but the market returned to growth pretty quickly after that. And, and I think that's what we need to understand now in, in this situation for the coming months. How quickly will the market snap back to growth again, um, either you know next year or even second half of this year, or will it take longer? Um, and I think that's what will determine kind of what, what happens with these supply chain companies, which ones are able to weather the storm. Well, OK, so the last thing I wanted to talk about, let's sort of take it another step back. You know, the, the renewable energy sector, or I guess the clean power sector is interesting uh, in and of itself. But I think it's interesting to me and to a lot of other people because this is this affects climate change in a big way. You know, transitioning to renewable power is one of the the biggest ways that uh, you know climate change can be addressed. Do you see um, you know these shocks that have happened in the last few months as derailing the the transition to clean power and affecting you know global carbon emissions in a really significant way, or um, do you think that this is you know the the transition to renewable power is just going to continue on and there's almost nothing can stop it? Um. I hold a pretty optimistic view, um, and I think um, it's not that nothing can stop it, but I, I'm, I'm sort of cautiously optimistic. So I, I think what you said is right, is that building out a, um, a clean power system globally is going to be the backbone upon which you know the rest of the energy system, the rest of the economy will be decarbonized. Because once you have a clean power system, you can electrify more of the economy, cars, buses, buildings, and you can start to produce clean hydrogen off the back of it, etc. So I, I think it really is foundational to... Um, achieving the climate goals that we want to achieve. Um, I'm not seeing much sign of governments um, suddenly reducing their commitments to clean power because of the pandemic. And I think a big reason for that is, as we talked about before, it's it's cheap. Like clean power is cheap. So it's not it's not a sacrifice anymore to choose that as an option. So I think the real question we need to get at is, um, are we going to move fast enough to meet those climate goals? Um, so I just want to highlight a report we put out recently with the UN and, and the Frankfurt School. It's called Global Trends in Renewable Energy Investment. It's a report we've been doing for a decade or so. And um, and this year, we, we wanted to take a look at the decade ahead. 
which will be a critical decade for climate action um, for all sorts of reasons. And we found that countries and companies have already committed to adding more than 800 gigawatts of renewables by 2030. Um, that's about a trillion dollars of investment over, over 10 years. And that sounds like a lot, um, but it's actually a fraction of what we need to do just to stay on track for the for the Paris um, climate goals for this decade, just, just to stay on track for 10 years. Um, and in fact, there are estimates out there, you know, um, various bodies out there saying that, that that one trillion is what we need to be spending every year um, to get to the Paris goals. So that that I think is the real the real question. It's not kind of are we going to pull back, but it's can we really take the opportunity now and, and push forward in this decade, which we all agree is critical. I see. So I was your whole um, our whole conversation. You've been very very optimistic, and I was waiting for the pessimism to come in, and and there it is. Um, so it sounds like the issue is not so much will the world adapt to clean energy because it sounds like, you know, and nothing, you know, you can't predict the future, of course, but it sounds like the all signs are pointing to clean energy and renewable energy becoming pretty dominant. But it's a matter of speed. It's a matter of when. And it sounds like, you know, right now it, things are moving too slow and the obviously the pandemic has slowed it down a little bit more, maybe not significantly more, but it's, it's going to happen slower now. Yeah, I think I think the good news is, and sorry, you know, maybe you're looking for me to be more pessimistic. Actually, I, I no, no. Hey, look, I mean, you know, optimism is is fine, I suppose. Yeah, I I, I think that the 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 reductions that we're seeing right now are are, are operational re reductions. They're sort of procedural reductions, um, and coming out of the pandemic, as we look out, we take a slightly longer term view over kind of five, ten years. Um, there's clearly an opportunity as governments look to really stimulate their economies to use clean power or clean energy investment as a vehicle for creating jobs, for stimulating investment um, and contributing to climate action as well. Um, certainly what we're seeing in Europe, the EU is putting forward quite an ambitious proposal um, where a quarter of all of its stimulus money will go towards green areas, including renewables, building uh, efficiency, hydrogen, etc. Um, I mean, you can say Europe's always the most aggressive, but I do think other, other regions will follow um, will follow suit. Um, COVID-19, the pandemic, it's, it has raised our awareness about managing systemic risk. Um, global pandemic is something experts have warned about for some time. And also, you know, it's about public health. It's about the health impacts of air pollution. All of these issues link kind of directly or indirectly to climate change and the energy transition. So I, I think you know, my own personal view is I think the world has an opportunity to learn from this pandemic and invest in a future energy system that's resilient to climate risk, that creates jobs, economic growth, um, and, and also serves the greater good in terms of you know, those issues around public health and, and well-being as well. That was Albert Chung, head of global analysis at Bloomberg New Energy Finance, speaking from his home in London. If you want more environmental news, check out our website, news.bloombergenvironment.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergenvironment.com. Today's episode of Parts for Billing was produced by myself, along with Josh Block and Marissa Horn. Parts for Billing was created by Jessica Coombs and Rachel Daigle. The music for today's episode is A Message by Jazar and Upstate by Henning Schmitz. They were used under a Creative Commons license. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Hey there, I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor for Bloomberg Government. And I'm Greg Giroux, senior elections reporter for Bloomberg Government. Check out our podcast, Down Ballot Counts. Each week, Greg and I will be breaking down all of those down-ballot elections that make up the fight for the U.S. Congress. Listen and subscribe to Down Ballot Counts from Bloomberg Government wherever you get your podcasts.
Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.